Joseph Campbell says the whole sense of the ubiquitous myth of the hero's passage is that it shall serve as a general pattern for men and women wherever they may stand along the scale. Therefore, it is formulated in the broadest of terms. The individual has only to discover their own position with reference to this general human formula and let it then assist them past their restricting walls. Well, that's easier said than done, uh, Joseph Campbell. Well, he knows this because he says the crux of the curious difficulty lies in the fact that our conscious views of what life ought to be seldom correspond to what life actually is. Ah, ain't that the truth. I always tell myself when uh, things don't go as planned to keep in mind that expectation is the garden in which the seeds of sorrow are sown. Um, so yeah, take, you can take that little tidbit with you along your own hero's journey. My name is Tim Held, and you're listening to Podular Modcast. And we are in a pandemic, so things are getting weird. So I'm starting to open the show with Joseph Campbell quotes over my own music, because what is life anymore? Um, yeah, I just really like this book, and it's really cool, and it's weirdly applicable to just about everything. Um, you should check it out. This week's episode is made possible by Afterlater Audio's Heritage Line, Patchwork Seattle, and listeners like you. If you'd like to help keep these episodes coming each week, please visit patreon.com forward slash modular modcast. I want to take a second to tell you about Eschatonic Modular. Are you building your own DIY case? Uh, for shows or for traveling and need some power, well then look no further than Eschatonic Modular. I have it in my Needham Woodworks case, and it's quiet and clean. So please visit eschatonicmodular.com to learn more. I also want to give a shout out to Recovery Effects. They have a new 2HP ADSR out, and keep an eye on what they're up to for the next few weeks. There's going to be some more announcements recoveryeffects.com and as always thank you Lisa Belladonna for this lovely track Um, I say it over and over again I don't think I'm going to get tired of it I love it so much go check out Lisa Belladonna's music on Bandcamp Pod Mod Bods, welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. This week we have Tony Rolando from Make Noise, and a surprise appearance uh, happens later in the episode as well, which is pretty cool. Um, we'll keep it uh, kind of a surprise. I mean, I told you it's coming. But um, when that happens, uh, Tony takes off his headphones and switches to speakers, so you get a little bit of my voice echoing back through their microphone. Um, I did my best to edit that out. But it's no big deal. I will tell you this. The quality of the content of the conversation vastly outweighs the minor hiccup in technicality. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to talk about the No Control, the new control surface that they just announced this week. So uh, stick around for that. That's coming up in a few minutes. But first, I got to say, hot damn, is that Discord server just lit right now? 
It's been so much fun. And people from the show and people from the greater modular community are popping in and out. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I knew Discord was a thing, and I'm relatively new to it. I'm still kind of like, you know, fully wrapping my head around it. I don't think it's that complicated, but it's really cool. So I would love if you, uh, if you came and hung out on the Discord server. Uh, there's a link to that um, on my link tree on Instagram, and I'll throw it in the show description here. What goes on over there? Well, there's a couple different channels. There's a Patch Challenge channel. There is a Music Suggestions channel. There's a weekly episode discussion. Uh, I can't wait to see what you all have to say about this week's episode in that. So, uh, yeah, go head over there. There's a few other channels. Um, it's a lot of fun. I want to tell you also about this thing uh, that I'm, I'm doing. Uh, I just released this album. Uh, it's called Stephanie's Synthesizer. And the reason it's called Stephanie's Synthesizer is because I made it with my friend Stephanie's Synthesizer. She let me borrow her Nordlead 2, and I had it for years. Um, she actually called it her keyboard. So that shows you what level of synthesis she was when she got it. But <laughs> I always make fun of her about that. But recently she wanted it back because she wanted to get into it. And uh, so the day she was going to come pick it up, from my house, or from my parents' house, actually. She lives in my hometown. Uh, I decided I need to get some use out of it because I hadn't used it in so long because I got modular stuff. So I sat there with my little Zoom recorder, my Zoya, and my Chase Bliss Mood, and uh, I recorded stuff for at least six hours, just building cool little things and recording them, and I was like, oh, later I will add to these with my modular. Um, when I got home and listened to it, the first pass, I kind of put everything together in the first pass. I was like, this kind of stands alone as an album but I thought that was impossible because I made it in one day so I went back to like listen to it to see if I wanted to work on it or whatever and I and I still thought it stood alone pretty well as like a nice minimal album so I released that but what I also did is I put all the stems on in a Dropbox folder that I'm, I'm sharing with you because I want to collaborate I want people to take this because they're they're basically just stereo tracks they're just one little pass uh, you know like vignettes they there's there's they're ripe for more music making and uh, I thought hey let's see what everybody else can do with them so you can take them and sample them you can take them and write new pieces to them and you can release them as your own album I don't care what you do with them as long as you follow a couple of the simple rules that are in the readme uh, text file in the folder but I won't get into the minutia of it but uh, yeah so the album is now out on Bandcamp it's called Stephanie Synthesizer it's pretty minimal I really dig it uh, you're listening to a track off of it right now actually called Lush Canopy but if this sounds unfinished to you and like you want to add something to it well then uh, yeah hit that link to the Dropbox folder and get to work I also want to just take a moment to uh, to say thank you to everybody who has supported me on Patreon, um, especially during this COVID nineteen crisis because it it is my primary income right now. Um, I, I'm not able to teach at my regular teaching job, uh, so that and uh, my synth lessons that I'm giving online via Skype are are my way of, of making money. So thank you so much. You're you're really like truly helping out so much because um, right now my, my wife is is working, so she, we're we're basically living off of her income. But you guys are helping me chip in a little bit and and help her out. So um, I just my gratitude to you, um, and also just gratitude to everybody who's still listening to the show uh, 
I don't, I don't know if it's gauche to talk about this, like numbers and stuff, but at the beginning, I think I've mentioned that the downloads and the, the weekly listens actually kind of went down a little bit because I think people weren't at work. But something that I did notice with everybody kind of, um, you know, being home and, and maybe just needing more uh, community when they're, they're sheltering in place, I have noticed, especially through the Discord and just through messages on all the, the socials that... Um, I feel so much more connected to everybody listening to the show right now. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say that thank you for supporting me on Patreon. And I understand if you can't, because you're, it's, it's a hard time for everybody. Um, but if, if, if you're listening to the show and it's helping you at all, um, just know that it is, it is helping me as well, um, through having the conversations with the guests and having the interactions with you. Um, and that that that'll be the uh, that'll be it on the the sentimental corner here. Uh, let's get into this episode. Oh, P.S. This track that you hear playing right now is called Igor, and it is also off of my new album, Stephanie's Synthesizer. And uh, it sounds pretty empty, right? Sounds like you could probably add something to it. Uh, anyways, let's get into this. But first off, let me just say thank you so much for joining me. Um, oh yeah, I really appreciate it. It's uh, I've been I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, and uh, I think this is as good as time as any because I see some cool stuff coming out from you guys. But I want to talk about that later. Um, I okay. just want to first ask how are how you're doing. Oh yeah, um, I'm hanging in there. It's uh, it's um, things slowed down quite a bit for us, so uh, I'm maybe working a little less than usual mm-hmm. right now. But then um, I guess the one nice side effect of that is that I've gotten to spend a lot more time uh here at home in my studio and playing some music which i haven't really done for about a decade oh so all right all right yeah i was gonna ask uh if uh there there seems to be kind of two camps and i fell into the the first one here that i'm gonna list off at the beginning it's kind of like wanting to do stuff but not really having a whole lot of motivation to do it and then feeling Mm -hmm. guilty about that (laughs) And then accepting yeah. that it's okay, and then once I accept it is okay, then I got this burst of motivation to start working on music. But so it sounds like you're really taking advantage of the time. I have been, yeah. It's been giving me a lot of sanity, actually. Yeah, I, I think um, honestly, without it, I think I'd probably be losing my mind a little bit, <laughs> and then you know, also probably driving Kelly crazy too. So uh, yeah, yeah, having. Having me hold up in here for hours a day is probably a good thing for both of us. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that. My my wife, uh, she works for the 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 city of Seattle, so um, she's an essential employee. But there was a few weeks that she had off, and for the first two weeks of of her um, staying home for this, it was good. But she she hit that third you know third fourth week, and sh- she's used to being outside all day, and she started kind oh, of yeah. like going a little stir crazy, and I'm like. She's like, how can you do this? And I just pointed to the corner with my giant Eurorack system and guitars and everything. And I was like, this is how yeah, I make yeah. this work. <laughs> um, have you, I'm wondering, like, um, have you, have you been, well, I know you guys are just releasing stuff, but you're, and you've probably got, like, always got something on, on the back burner of your mind design wise, but have you kind of uh, had any motivation in that regard? Or is this a moment where you're like, this is where I can take some time off of that? Yeah, it's been more like that, honestly. Yeah. It's really hard to, you know, we have, uh, well, there's, there's Zero Control, which we're launching today. Mm-hmm. That's been finished since last fall. Okay. And um, was actually supposed to be launched in February. And then it just kept getting pushed back further and further. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's hard 
when you're seeing something that you finished a while ago getting pushed back further and further and further, uh -huh. it's really hard to have that motivation to go ahead and, okay, well, let's design something new that yeah. can also not be released <laughs> potentially. Because in addition to the zero control, there's a, a whole other project that is at like about the 95%. Uh, well, actually, probably, you know, honestly, it's probably further along than that. It's probably more like 98, 98, 99. Um, but uh, to order the last prototype boards for it. But that project too is so close to being finished. But again, it's hard to, it's really hard to, it's hard to see how you can finish it and, and get it out into the world when you can't even get, you know, your basic stuff out into the world. So mm -hmm. yeah, it definitely, it kind of prompted me to just take a step back and, and relax a little bit and, and be thankful to even have the privilege to do that. Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess that's what sent me into my uh, my um, makeshift studio, which uh, actually grew into something a little. I was given another room in the house to fill it out a little bit better, and, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I've just been hiding out in there and 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 making music. Yeah, well, that's awesome to hear. So with the with the delay um, of the uh, the no control, was that. Was that like all coronavirus delay or was there a little, did like the Chinese New Year kind of stuff happen? I mean, I, I imagine by that point it was already built, so. Yeah, so, yeah, we're well aware of Chinese New Year. I mean, <laughs> that's like a big part of, of what I do along with our uh, our purchasing person, John, mm -hmm. is, is try to get things ordered and uh, in, in production in effort to avoid that. Yeah. It's, it's I tell you, that's bitten me in the ass so many times over the past years. <laughs> you announce something at the NAMM show, and then you go into production, and you realize, oh, wait, this is the worst time to go into production <laughs> right after the, the NAMM show. So, um, no, we were, we were well situated to avoid the Chinese New Year altogether. It's, it was entirely related to the, the coronavirus. It, okay. it, it basically held up a lot of stuff. The biggest thing it held up was, was uh, the metalwork. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of our suppliers are actually based in the United States. So, like, out in California, they had actually shut their shop down. Uh, they're still shut down, actually, I think. I haven't mm -hmm. talked to them today, but as of last week, they were. And so that really slowed stuff down. You know, yeah. we, we were getting some stuff, but we weren't getting all the stuff. You know, there's mm -hmm. always a bunch of different parts that are coming from a bunch of different places that make up any instrument or product that you're making. And sometimes it's the smallest things that can delay you. I, mean, I remember <laughs> looking at, at uh, hundreds of Mogafogers sitting on tables when I worked at Moog years ago, waiting for one small knob oh, that geez. had gone out of stock. And, and we kept building them because it was a new launch and they wanted to have them ready to go for the release date. But there was this, they had all, you know, the thing is, the thing had like five or six knobs on it, and they had all but the one. Oh, geez. Just waiting for it, like every day, like, when's that thing going to get here? And it's, it's, it's frustrating, for sure. And then in the case of the zero control, it's kind of a similar thing. The, big, the biggest holdup was the metalwork, the enclosure that it sits in. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was just, uh, yeah, we literally just got notice that there was some shipping uh, last week and we got the first bit of them at the end of last week and we're supposed to get more this week and okay. that kind of prompted us to move forward with the build and go ahead and announce it. Okay, cool. Yeah, the only thing I can really liken it to is uh, my last release I did was on cassette and the label wanted to release it I think in September and it, ended, it didn't end up coming out until like March because uh, 
there was a, that tape, that ferrite shortage a while ago. So like no one was getting their tapes made. And I, I, I wonder if it's like this for you, but like you finish an album and you want it to be done by, sep, you know, released by September. And then it like the world doesn't get to see it. By the time the world saw it, I was kind of like not over it. I still liked it, but like all the excitement about like, oh, this new thing I made was kind of like, yeah, this thing's been around for almost a year now. Um, like, do you, do, do you worry about stuff like that with, with, with the release of a module or a new product? Honestly, that's, that's almost always the case with any release for us because the, I, I think maybe some people don't know this, but especially for us, and I think for most companies, when, when I finish something, or when we finish something, I should say, when we finish designing something more specifically, there's usually at least three months between that point and the point at which we actually have it stocked and built and ready to, to, to ship. And that three months, that, that, is, that is the absolute, you know, that's, that's everything going perfectly, yeah. which rarely does everything go perfectly. <laughs> so you're really looking more like three, four months. So you're always waiting four months. And then you got to add to that the fact that in some cases you've been developing it for a year or two prior to that. If it's a digital device like the Morphogene or the Renee 2, those were two-year-long development cycles. Mm-hmm. So you're, you, you're pretty much over it <laughs> long before <laughs> it even starts getting built. Uh, uh. But then the nice thing is uh, you, sometimes you get that chance to take a break from it and work on something else. So, mm-hmm. for example, with the Zero Control, when I finished that, I immediately jumped over and started working on this other project which um, isn't released yet. Uh, That's probably later this year. Um, And so I was really able to kind of step away from it for for several months. And then with this delay and being kind of trapped at home, I was actually able to bring a zero control home and play with it without feeling like I'm beta testing, which is Uh a rarity for me. I'm always beta testing, and it's really (laughs) hard to get out of that frame of mind of beta testing. And beta testing, that frame of mind can kind of ruin... Uh, an experience mm-hmm. uh, as far as creativity, uh, yeah. like fun and creativity. Yeah, I can see that. Once, so I, I imagine though, once it's released and you're kind of in that that over it phase, um, seeing the excitement of people using it and seeing other people use it and all the you know all over you know the Instagram and YouTube videos and just like the general vibe of of everything going around. Um, I imagine that's got to like kind of give it a boost back up, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, then that's like the fruition. You know, that's everything coming to 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 uh, you know to full full bloom. Uh huh. Yeah. It's, it's nice for sure. It's nice, and you you really you feel some level of comfort. But it, but I, I hate to say, it, but it, but for me at least, it's always very short lived because immediately I'm looking to see how are people using it. Uh huh. Um, what. What are they using more? You know, for example, when Renee 2 launched, my big thing was watching every video I could find. Are they using states? Are people using that? Is that something we should develop more of? Um, so it's, it's very short-lived, that, that uh, sort of perfect period where you feel like all is well is very short-lived, <laughs> for me at least. I'm always in. And then, you know, the tech support emails start coming in, and I, um, you know, I review those with, with Devin. And, the, and, um, and Walker and Pete weekly, you know, what are people saying? What are people having trouble with? You know, what's mm-hmm. the most seen failure that you're, you know, having on this, you know, now that we've got it out in the field for three, week, three weeks or so, are there failures coming in? And, and you know, you got to walk in and check the production line. 
Sounds like it never really ends. It never really (laughs) ends. It never really ends. Yeah, sorry. It'd be nice if it was just like, yep, that's done. I'm never going to have to think about that again. But it's not that way. That's just not how the job is. It's not how the job's cut out. Oh, Which is man. why this this delay is kind of like uh, the first time it has actually it hasn't ended but it's paused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it's I, I have a little bit of I guess what me and my, a friend of mine are calling uh, survivor survivor's guilt with this because I'm 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 lucky in that I'm I so far haven't been t- so financially affected that it's something that I'm really really freaked out about and um mm-hmm. it's actually given me more time to work on on this and and my socialization um I, you know my, that that thirst is being quenched by doing stuff like this I'm doing stuff like this a couple times a week um oh, yeah, sure. so I'm I getting a chat that. with people yeah so like yeah. I, I have a little bit but but it is nice like when I stop beating myself up for that and allow myself to just hey it's okay to feel okay about something I I do uh you know it it's 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 good to have some positive aspects, and it sounds like you're, you're really, uh, maybe maybe this is maybe this is some you know like cosmically maybe maybe you deserve a little bit of a break right now, right? <laughs> 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 you guys have been going at it for a long time. Um, I had a question. I I kind of lost my train of thought there, but um, let's just uh, before we get too deep, I kind of just want to get to know you, and so let's okay. just start like where where did you grow up? I grew up in Central Illinois, Springfield, okay. Illinois. Yeah, okay. Born and uh, stayed there till I was about eighteen. Okay. Um, yeah, went went to school briefly at Southern Illinois University, and then um, quickly moved up to Chicago, and went to school at uh, U of I Chicago briefly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then tried to play music in Chicago for several years. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it seems like maybe Chicago is the the equivalent of Seattle here in Washington. If you're in a smaller, maybe like it's not the the hip place if you want to do music and stuff. So that's how I ended up in Seattle. So um, so what kind of music were you looking to play? Oh, back then, um, let's see. I was mostly I mostly played guitar and sang. Played a little bit of keyboards and drums too, and. Um, I guess we would have been considered like a garage rock okay. band. Okay. I think that's what I never really liked that term, but I think that's what people yeah. referred to us as. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going back a little bit further, was guitar your first instrument? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And I'm always curious with that. Was it? Um, was there a, a particular song or band that you liked so much that you're like, I, I just have to, I want in on that, or what got you into guitar? I guess. Yeah, sure. The first thing I can think of is uh, my dad's Led Zeppelin records, mm-hmm. and actually, it was bass. Oh, I, okay. That I wanted to play, but I don't think I knew the difference at that point. <laughs> you know how it is. It was just right. I could hear the bass line and and follow it really well. And I know that I liked that. Now later, I realized that that wasn't Jimmy Page. That was Paul, John Paul Jones. And um, but in my mind, that was kind of one and the same with the guitar. Mm-hmm. The bass and the guitar were kind of just one thing in my mind. Yeah. Of course, once I actually got a guitar, I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get those low notes <laughs> that I heard on the record, and it felt like I was doing something wrong for a while. <laughs> uh, so, uh, But you, stick, you stuck with guitar, and then um, I also, 
and I got to apologize to the listener because I, I think half of them, or more than half of them, hate when this comes up, but it's got to come up. When did you start skating? And you still skate. So I, we got to talk about that for a minute. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to waste too much time on it. But yeah, <laughs> I, uh, well, I skated in the 80s. Um, so I'm like, I mean, I can remember um, riding my bike to the skate shop across town to rent the, the Bones Brigade video show. because you you know nobody owned it you had to like right save up some cash and chip in and rent it and then have your friends over to watch it um so yeah i guess that's like early um like i think i think i would have started i I, you know i i did find my first issue of thrasher and i think it's in 84 wow so it was a short period of time it was like 84 to 89 you know four or five years in the 80s and then um i think what happened is i just got so into music I remember like writing, the, you know, skating less and less and, and playing guitar. I'm trying to be in bands more and more, playing mm-hmm. multiple bands. And it just got to that point where that was really the only thing I wanted to do was play music. And, yeah. um, you know, before long, the skateboard was just like a, a mode of transportation. I wasn't watching <laughs> the videos anymore. Uh-huh. I think the last video I would have seen in the 80s was public domain. Okay. Okay. Um, and I do remember seeing... I mean, there was, you know, it's, it was central Illinois and, uh, and, and we got, we got a weird assortment of videos. So oddly enough, we got all the Elva videos from that time period, which most people haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I grew up thinking Elva was, 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 uh, an awesome team. And I mean, they were, um, those were the videos like with Jeff Hartzell and, and, um, and Bill Danforth. Oddly enough, Bill Danforth and Chris Cook, both Elva writers were the only pros that ever came to Springfield. Okay. Um, and um, I got to meet both of them, thankfully. That was cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. So I think Public Domain or, or and maybe the first H Street video would be the last videos that I remember seeing. Okay. And definitely there was an H Street video. And I'm pretty sure it was the first one that I, that I, remember, I remember seeing. And then I didn't skate again until uh, our, a friend of mine, Matthew Sherwood, who also has done some firmware development for Make Noise. Um, he, he did the, the Tempe. And the mm-hmm. MIDI to CV on the Zero Control, and um, I'm probably forgetting something else that he worked mm-hmm. on, but uh, those are the, the two really big ones. So we met at Moogfest. We were on a panel for uh, DIY synthesis, which is odd because neither of us really did <laughs> much of that. Um, Cyril Lance was was also on that panel. Cyril's the uh, I believe he's the head engineer at Moog still. He wasn't when I worked there. He was, and uh, he and Matt and I met and. I think Matt was just like, hey, you're about my age and you're into electronics. We should be friends. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then he just started talking about skateboarding at one point, And I told him I used to skate. And he says, hey, I got this ramp I got to take you to. And it was this amazing indoor ramp called Thrashville. <laughs> and, um, I mean, this thing was amazing. It was like what you dreamed about when you were, when you, were uh, you know, back in the 80s. It was, mm. This was a, like an incredible ramp. And at that point, I was just like, okay, I got to get back into this. <laughs> I gotta ride this thing. <laughs> yeah, I see on your Instagram, you're like, is there a like a pool that you're riding, or like a, a cool little mm-hmm. like half pipe and stuff? And and like, yeah, is that yeah, a friend's yeah. or is that yours? Awesome skate. Yeah, we have some awesome skate spots in Asheville. People wouldn't be surprised how, I guess, how big skateboarding is in Asheville, considering Asheville's such a tiny little town. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know what it is. I think it is that our um, our pavement out here is just is awful. Yeah, <laughs> I think partly because of the weather and partly because Asheville historically, you know, prior to the last 10 years or so, has been a very, uh, a, a, a poor city. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been the same kind of uh, development 
and you know, now there's a lot of development, but prior to that, there hasn't a lot of development. And so the concrete around here is just awful, which I think led kids to build places okay. to skate. And so we actually have quite a few really awesome skate spots here. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I bring it up because uh, yeah, um, Ellison Wolf from Waveform Magazine uh, is a good friend of mine, and we both kind of got into skating last summer again for the first time. I skated as a, you know in my teens, um, and we both got into it. And I, I'm full pads, man. Like every every uh-huh. piece of yeah. PPE you can wear while skating, I, I'm that old guy at the park now. But it's been a lot of fun, and um, it's been cool to find there's within the modular scene. There's there's a couple of us all out there. I mean, of course, uh, Rodent is like you know he's part of the the big the bigger scene. But you know, Alex from WMD is out there skating and some friends and yeah, it's it's just uh it's cool. Like there's there's like these little gamer factions who are into video games, and then there's like the the skateboard factions. And I end up mm-hmm. talking about both of those on the show. And I just want to say to anybody out there who's in neither. Sorry about that. So let's get back to... <laughs> to well, you, I don't know uh, anything about games, so we, we, can, we won't have to waste their time with that, at least. <laughs> so you get to Chicago, probably what, in your you know, 18 to 20, early 20s mm-hmm. range, and you're, yeah. you're playing music. And, and is that something that you're like trying to make a go at, like a band, or is it kind of a hobby thing, or is it like we're, we're doing EP or, or press kits, and we're get booking shows and doing tours, and... Yeah, no, it was. Uh, no, I, I was going for it. Yeah, I I, I did it too. <laughs> I did it too. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's, this was diff- this was a little bit different of a time, just for some perspective. This would have been the early '90s, so um, it's yeah, it's like we didn't have a website or anything. You know, we right. we would go out wheat pasting uh, posters for shows. Uh-huh. We get our posters uh, silk screened. At um, I wish I could remember the guy's name. He did all the silk screening for posters in Chicago. You get your posters silk screen, and you mix up a bunch of wheat paste and go out at like two to three a.m. like wheat paste and <laughs> posters everywhere. I mean, that, that's how you got people to come to shows with, uh-huh. with posters. Kind of crazy. Yeah. And go to uh, during the during the day. We you, you know each band member would get a stack of posters, and you go out and hit every record store in the mm. greater Chicago area, which was. There was a lot back then. I don't yeah. know what it's like now. I haven't lived there in, in well over a decade, so uh, almost 20 years. Um, but yeah, they would just every record store. Some some were really nice. You know, you come in and like they knew you, and they, or maybe they even liked your band a little bit, or maybe uh-huh. had a little pity. Probably more pity. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you'd be like, oh yeah, I can make a spot for you right over here. Others, you'd go in and it'd be like this showdown. You know, like oh, they, let me put this up or. You know. <laughs> Well, yeah, Chicago, uh, you know, big music town. So I imagine that was, oh, you know, yeah. like a common thing and a lot of competition. It's, uh, yeah, to anybody out there right now who's like just trying to make a go at it, like as a, a, a solo performance or in a band, like I, it's, uh, it's hard work. And, you know, if, if you're into it and enjoy it, it can be some, a lot of really fun work. And rarely does it really, really pay off. But when it does, when you have those small victories, it's, uh, oh, it's yeah. really cool. You know, like, hey, 30 people showed up to the show tonight. You know, that's, those are always fun nights. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the only, yeah, it's, it's, you know, music is something you can only, you, you, you really, the only reason to do it is because you feel, you feel the need to do it inside you. Definitely. There's no other reason to do it. It's yeah. not. It's yeah, you're compelled to do it. It's it's a it's yeah, it's 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 uh it's hard to explain to somebody who's not into it. Um Yeah, absolutely. So so yeah. where do where does like electronic musician or, or 
electronic music or interest in electronics as far as musical equipment come into play for a garage rock guy in Chicago? <laughs> I mean, you know, one thing you got to think about, I mean, I think the reason rock, rock was just what was around me. Mm-hmm. And I grew up listening to Van Halen and, and, um, and Black Sabbath and Ozzy and uh, Metallica and all that stuff because that's just what, that was like the, the, the wildest stuff that was mm-hmm. going on in central Illinois in the early to mid 80s. Um, yeah. So, but you know, my interest, I feel like it started pretty early. The first thing I remember doing that kind of blew my mind was my dad had this really cool stereo system that he had gotten. He was in the Navy and he was over in Japan and he bought this, this big uh, stereo system there and like brought it back with him on the ship. And it had this, this unit that, you know, now I know it was essentially a spring reverb. But uh-huh. it was, uh, the idea behind it was that it would make your record sound like you were in a concert hall. Uh-huh. It had these different <laughs> settings on it that you could adjust, like the size of the hall and how many people were in there and all this stuff. And the idea was you play your studio album through this thing and it would make it sound live. Uh-huh. Um, it was made by Pioneer. <laughs> and uh, I hijacked that out of his stereo system and plugged my guitar into it and, and, and plugged that directly into my amp and, and experimented with that a bunch. And that was super fun. I remember <laughs> that being like a pretty, I think I got kind of obsessed with, with uh, echoes and delay lines for a while after that. And yeah. I would just go to every pawn shop in the central Illinois area looking for echoes and stuff. I acquired a lot of cool echoes at a young age. I had a, a Roland space echo when I was probably like 15 or so, I had a Roland Space Echo. It didn't really mean anything to me, though. I'll right, tell you a funny right. story. <laughs> that Roland Space Echo, I later traded it. And oh, everybody no. hates me oh, for no. this, but I later traded it for a Boss Metal Zone. Oh, you know, no. The orange, the orange and black pedal. I know it, yeah. It had just come out. You know, the, the Metal Zone was like the new distortion pedal, and it, my friend had it. And it just, it, it made this sound that just like knocked you over. And I needed that sound so much. And I, I immediately, I, you know, I, I took, I packed some stuff up, went to the music store and was like, what can I give you to get one of those? And the guy was like, we'll take that, that old, uh, that old Roland Echo. And so I was like, yeah, for sure. Take it. I, you know, I probably paid like 20 bucks for it at a yard oh sale or God. something. So I didn't yeah. care. Yeah. I was getting that brand new Boss Metal Zone. So Yeah. <laughs> Rolling Space Echo for Boss Metal Zone pedal trade. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, at the time it was worth it because I loved that that Metal Zone pedal. I used the hell out of it. Right, right. That's so, I've heard, so, like, talking to so many people doing this show, I've heard so many similar stories of, I had, you know, they'll name some, something like that, which, like, now, like, what is that, what is that worth now? Like oh, that. Now, I, mean, I, I guess probably, you know, a grand or two, you know. Yeah, right. Tape yeah. echoes are—they're expensive. No one will—I don't think people will make those anymore because it's a lot of work to get something like that running, keep mm-hmm. it running. Yeah, I know they make like the the little, you know, digital version of it or, or oh, whatever. Yeah, that's sure, like the double yeah. pedal, but yeah, that to that big box, you know, like yeah, my yeah. buddy Greg has one. It's it's a pretty pretty cool thing. Um, I mean, I liked it back then. I remember thinking it was cool. It had chorus built in, had a reverb tank on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of cool stuff that. I just found around town. Yeah. So you were into gear. So like the gear side of musicianship was something that pulled you in early. Early. Yeah. Music, music and like electronics. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. 
old, you know, I was any, any echo I could find, I was buying, you know, I, I had like a stack of old DOD rack mount echo units, uh-huh. you know, and it's, it's just like weird shit that you can find at <laughs> like a pawn shop or whatever for 50 bucks, anything mm-hmm. that I could get. Yeah. And just, you know, what happens when I run my guitar through this? Right. Yeah. It's so odd to me that that was, I think a pretty common thing with, that came with receivers and record players and, and whatnot where the, the, the reverb to like, I have this, this real tech I think they call it a reverb, but it's almost like this really weird delay. It's it's a really cool effect. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just made. And I'm just thinking, like, why would you put this on your Boston record or your Bach record? Or right, whatever, right. You know, like, I just... well, yeah. and then parametric EQs, like, like nobody uh-huh. knew how to use correctly, but everyone was running all their records through them, just like ruining all the hard work that the mastering engineer and recording engineer did, like, just in one fell swoop. Just let's just ruin all of it. Yeah, yeah it was a strange time for. For stereo, for home audio, I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, like, not long after that, my first, um, the first, you know, I guess truly electronic music that, you know, obviously, you know, the '80s was a big time for synthesizers, and and mm-hmm. but you know, I was I was younger, so I think to me it was all like a lead synth line was the same thing as guitar solo almost. I, I don't okay. think that, that yeah. you distinguish them as sort of like what I was saying, like when I, I was like. Uh, I'm into Led Zeppelin. I want to play guitar. But I, what I actually wanted to play was bass, but I didn't know that. And I didn't have someone to say, oh, well, you know, actually, you're, you're talking about the bass line. It's just, you know, I just got what I could get. And, yeah. and so synthesizers are kind of like that, too. And I think a lot of times, you, you, don't, you know, when you're younger and you're experiencing music, you're just going where the heat is. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it doesn't really matter to you, like, how it, that heat is produced. It's just that's, that's where it you know, that's the good stuff. I want to go where that is. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I did end up, um, one thing I always tell people about is the, the, uh, strange, uh, way that I found out about the Buchla, which, you know, didn't really result in much initially because there was no way to research it, or at least at my library, there was no further books, but the library had a record sale and I bought a copy of Silver Apples of the Moon. Mm-hmm. And then I also bought this really great, uh, tape music compilation as well that same day, you know, for 50 cents or something. they, barely been played because it was Springfield, Illinois, and there probably wasn't a lot of people looking to check out Morton yeah. Sabotnik's records from the library. <laughs> but, um, you know, on the back of the record, they talk about the Bukla and, and, and all that. But, um, you know, they, that was it. It's like, oh, this crazy, strange, psychedelic record made on uh, something called a Bukla. What's a Bukla? You know, go to right. the library. There's nothing about it. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, it like, just probably until the last few years, you probably couldn't find too much info on a bukla, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it was years before, you know, once the internet kind of started happening and, and then, you know, even then I didn't remember, but then at one point I remember taking that record out of a stack and saying, Oh, bukla, what is that? You know, mm-hmm. I gotta search this thing. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's a bukla? You know, it's like kind of leads you in down this path. It's like, Oh wow, this is really interesting. Yeah, um, and it so probably also, like, record. once you're able to find it, you've, you're like, oh, finally, I can look this up, and you find it, and you're like, oh, it cost $30,000 to get <laughs> It wasn't even, you know, honestly, at that point, I don't even know if, maybe the E was, I don't think the E was actually in production yet. Okay. It was more like looking it up and discovering it, and, and what it actually was, but yeah, I mean, like, I don't even know where you would go to find that, you know, it wasn't like any of the music stores in Chicago had those right right um, 
Yeah, so it was just more, it was just kind of cool. I guess maybe that's a testament to having things sometimes. If I don't know that I would have even remembered that record if I didn't have a physical copy of it to pull out years later and think, oh, right, I should yeah. figure out what this Buchla thing is that they talk about on this record. <laughs> <laughs> I should search this. So you, so you're, okay, so this, this all, all this curiosity, because I, I, I don't want to do the exact same interview that you did with um, Darwin Gross, so I do want to take a moment just to say, if oh, you yeah, want sure, to get the, uh, I, that's a great inv- interview, I love Darwin, and it's, it's four years old now, so I, I definitely want to cover what's happened um, since then. So let's, let's yeah, uh, like sure. sm- smash cut to, uh, you know, you're in New York and you're, you're going to the, uh, like you're, you're going to the library, not only for music, but you're learn you're trying to figure out how to design circus, right? You're in- interested yeah. in analog electronics and you want to like learn how to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The Brooklyn public library, they had a really good, um, reference library there for, well, I say really good to me because I was interested in learning analog electronics, which at that point in time is probably not what your average (laughs) person, your student would Mm -hmm. need to know to get a job. Obviously, this is like uh, that person would need to learn about much different things to get a job with a cellular company or, you know, Mm -hmm. some sort of, uh, you know, job in the software industry. So these books were kind of untouched at that point, but they were in the reference library, so they were all still there. Um, they couldn't be checked out, which didn't really matter to me because our apartment at that time did not have AC. Brooklyn <laughs> Public Library did have AC, so it was a great place to hang out yeah. um, for, for an afternoon and read. And they also had a photocopy machine in there, and they were okay with if you you know wanted to photocopy pages out and stuff. So I was able to... They had all the Bob Peace books, for example. Bob Peace was a really good analog engineer, author. Okay. His writing is, is something I would highly recommend to someone who is trying to learn analog electronics. He's, uh, there's something about how he wrote that just really con- connected with me, at least. And I think a lot of it... There's probably a lot of other folks out there who would agree with me on that. He, was a, he had a good way of putting it to words. Uh, so they had a bunch of the Bob Peace stuff. Um, and then they just had a lot of like strange old books on radio communication and just stuff that just is really would only be of interest to you if you were trying to make an analog synthesizer. Right. (laughs) So perfect for you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It it was good for me and probably not many other people in that area. I think, you know, honestly, I think Dan Snazzy, uh, what might've been in New York by that time, he might've been the other guy that would have been perusing those books. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you guys passed each other in the hall. Uh, <laughs> so, and I, something I, I, I thought was funny from the, uh, the Darwin, I just re-listened to it just to make sure I didn't like ask the same exact questions, but something that you mentioned in that is, um, you went there, your, your kind of your goal, your pie in the sky dream was to work for either Buchla or Moog and Moog was, you know, they were, they had the Voyager and you, and they, they were, they weren't really doing a whole lot. They're not the Moog of today. So it's just, no, I love no. this, like this idea of somebody studying what was then kind of an, a, an outdated thing to go work for these kind of obscure small companies. And that was like your dream. I just, I, I love that. Um. <laughs> well, you gotta, you gotta realize when you're, when you're just playing in, in bands that nobody cares about and, and, and <laughs> nobody's buying your records and nobody's coming to your shows. I mean, I guess maybe you, your dreams are a little smaller. <laughs> It's just, it seemed like a big dream to me, 
Uh, yeah, of yeah, course. I guess probably yeah. to, to people on the outside looking in, they were like, oh, he's just, he's going down another another uh, broken path. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the timing of it seems like it was right because you did end up getting um, getting in with Moog and working on, you worked on their production line or assembly line or? I did a bunch of things. So they they hired me right before they were going to launch a little fatty. And the little fatty was supposed to be a big turning point for Moog, I think, in terms of producing an instrument that was a little more affordable mm-hmm. and, and had like maybe a wider, um, wider potential audience of users. And so they were, they were looking to add a couple of people to the production line in order to, to be able to produce at maybe a little bit higher volume. I mean, mm-hmm. I'd say a little bit higher. I mean, when I started working at Moog, there was, I think, 18 people there. So okay. they were, it was small. Yeah, mm-hmm. compared to today, it was nothing like it is today. They didn't have that big, beautiful office that they have now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in a uh, um, it was in a business park that was right upwind from the the sanitation plant. So when oh, you ate no. your lunch outside, you got to smell Dookie. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, is Asheville uh, right still, next, right? Yeah, yeah. Still, yeah. they were still they were in Asheville. Yeah, they were uh, they were right next to the river. Um, so you wanted to eat your lunch outside and sit by the river, but then if the wind was blowing them, you know, hard enough, it wasn't really a good thing to eat your lunch outside. Um, so it was a lot smaller. And so adding two people was kind of a big deal at mm-hmm. that time mm-hmm. for them. And um, so they added myself and a fellow named Aaron, and, and our sole purpose was supposed to be to, um, to run this little fatty line. But then, and, you know, you talk about delays, uh, there was a big delay, and... So they were faced with either um, they were faced with letting us go or finding other uses for us, and so we did get laid off briefly. But then they brought us back in, and I started working with Amos in tech support. And so I worked with him in tech support for a while before they got the fatty line running, and then that kind of became like a secondary job. Like I would help him when he needed, you know, when the load was too high and he needed some help with that. Um, and then I graduated to. Uh, um, the Voyager line where I was the calibration person and kind of like the final set of hands on the Voyagers. Um, and along the way did a lot of repair work and stuff, uh, worked in shipping here and there. I mean, I, I did a lot of different things. It was a small company, so you were expected to do whatever was needed done. I mean, right. I remember the first week I worked there, they, do, they weren't ready for me yet, but I had come down from New York city and I think the production manager felt bad that I had traveled all the way down from New York City to start my job and they didn't have the line going yet. And so he, he took me in this room and there was this big box of, of, uh, of broken mocha fuckers that, that uh, and he said, okay, well, here's a soldering station, oscilloscope, DVM. There's a box of mocha fuckers. Let's see if you can pay for yourself this week. And the idea was <laughs> if I could repair enough mocha fuckers to, you know, account for what they were paying me for the week, then, you know, I was a good hire and they keep uh-huh. me on for the next oh week. My God. And, so, and I don't know if that was really true or not. I mean, I don't, maybe I, I know that I repaired enough Mogafogers that they were really happy. Mm-hmm. They, they say, wow, you did great. Um, I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't repaired enough. Right. I don't know if they would have <laughs> let me go or I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. It was never, we never had to have that discussion. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I mean, I think, I think your guys' success as a company is definitely multifaceted. I mean, the design, of course, you know, the, the ideas that, of the modules that you've made. And, and I know you have such a great team, but I can't imagine that that experience didn't just, like, give you such a, a, a head start, like, to have oh, you so sure. well-equipped to start your own company. 
doing the same, yeah, almost exactly. the same thing. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, I think what I took away from working there, you know, I, I, what I saw was an emphasis on, on um, customer support. And at that time, Amos doesn't really do that anymore, but at that time, that's what Amos did. He was the person who did all the, the technical support. Um, you know, they were a lot smaller, so they didn't need but one person. Mm -hmm. And, um, but he was very, like, that was an important thing. You know, like they, a lot of time and effort was put towards answering every email as soon as it could, they could and getting repairs done as fast as possible and back out to people. And, and, and just also the way that he would inter interface with customers. And I had to interface with customers every once in a while. Like if he had too many phone calls, they took phone calls at that time too. Um, and they'd already, always taught me to just, you know, to just be really open-minded and really listen to what people had to say. And even when you knew that the thing wasn't actually broken and, uh -huh. and so on and so forth, you had to let people play it out and you had to slowly, you know, kind of show them how it actually worked and why that was okay and so on and so forth. So there, I really learned a lot about like how to be a good company, how to treat your customer well, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. It's, which is something you don't really think about as like a person who's just dreaming of making some modules. You wouldn't normally think about something like that. But I think because I was exposed to it there, it was definitely something that was very important to me from the, the, the beginning. Yeah. And that's why we have today not one, not two, but three people on our tech support email. Because I don't want emails to you know, just go unanswered for weeks. Mm -hmm. I want, right. you know, when someone has a question about something, I want us to help that person as fast as possible. Yeah. And same with RMAs. If, if we can turn an RMA around in a day or two, that's awesome. You know, that person gets their herb back and they're happier sooner um, right. instead of having to wait weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can't always make that guarantee. Obviously right now it's, it's harder because our tech support person is working from home. Um, our main tech support person, Devin, um, Pete and Walker, who also do the tech support, they're working from home as well. So things are a little slower, but we're still trying to keep up with that like fast. Yeah. Fast yeah, it's friendly service. It's very, it's very clear. Just you know the the vibe that you get, and from the people you know, I've talked with Walker, um, and just it, it, you guys are, you guys are clearly a very well oiled machine, and it's just, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's crazy to think about the the Eurorack world and it being relatively small, but like in the Eurorack world, like it's, you know, it's make noise. You guys are like, you guys are the thing, you know, and that's like, and and I think. That's not, like I said, it's just like all these, it's the multifaceted approach. Um, and it's, it just sounds like you guys just do make all, made all the right decisions and setting up the process. And, um, we just don't let you see the wrong decisions. Right. <laughs> we keep those right. internal only. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, well, man, we, I want, I definitely want to get to the, the new stuff and I, I feel like, uh, I feel like I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I can do this without somebody being like, hey, why didn't you ask about this? Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, just, sure. I, I, I had a few questions that I wanted to ask. Um, and I, I'm because, you know, because you guys are like, you know, the, arguably the biggest name in, in modular. Um, and you were talking on, on um, you know, on, on Darwin's show. As of 2016, it, it's, it's funny to think of, like, in the modular world, of course everybody knows who Make Noise is. And, but you were, like, you put it in this really funny perspective. You're, like, but there are only 5,000 maths out there. So, like, yes, we're yeah. this... We're, um, I'm wondering, like, 
with it seems like since then that uh, 2016 it seemed like this like kind of second wave of this really really big spike in popularity of modular um i'm just wondering like how much i i know I'm trying to formulate two questions here, but like, I guess just since 2016, like how has that changed? Like for you guys, like you're obviously much bigger. Um, and what do you, like, what do you see as far as the Eurorack world goes? Do you think this is something that's going to continue growing in popularity or are we going to hit a ceiling at some point? Yeah, that's, I guess that's a really good question. I, I think about <laughs> that all the time. I, I feel like it's kind of hit, I feel like it's hit a ceiling potentially. Yeah. Um, I mean, not, I don't, I don't have any, you know, if Kelly were listening, she was, she would just be, you know, laughing because I don't have any numbers to back that up. It's right, a right. <laughs> I think, I think that feeling for me comes from just, you know, for a period of time, it was like every few months, there was some other massive announcement. And I mean, when I say massive, I don't necessarily mean like, like a ton of people are going to buy this. We're going to make a lot of these. We're going to sell a lot of these. I mean, massive as in like, like, oh, wow, this is a huge step forward in the Eurorack technology, you know, the renaissance mm -hmm. that is Eurorack modular. Um, you know, oh, wow, you know, someone's making a, uh, a fully digital dual VCO Hertz Donut. You know, when that Hertz right. Donut launched, it was like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. this is incredible. We have a fully digital through zero FM dual VCO. I mean, these, these announcements were happening like, you know, one after the other, every three or four months, it seemed like something really like ground, you know, earth shattering was happening, you mm -hmm. know, to our little tiny little market. You know, uh -huh, I'd right. say, like I said, like to the 5,000 people that cared. Um, and, and I feel like that's maybe settling a little bit now because we have so much, we had so much and so rapid of a development mm -hmm. um, that it feels like maybe people are, are needing to take some time to learn how to use all this stuff that we've created. <laughs> <laughs> because there's so much of it uh, <laughs> and it's so deep. Uh, so, and that's like, maybe I'm just, I think probably what's more likely is that I'm, uh, I'm projecting my own feelings on it, onto it. Right. That's definitely where I'm at. Like I sometimes, like I have a whole case full of Harvest Man and uh, industrial music electronics modules that mm -hmm. half of which I have no idea how to use because I've never <laughs> had time to, I want to. And uh -huh. at some point I will bring them home from the shop and put them in my little home studio and play some music <laughs> with them. But um, yeah, they're all sitting there waiting for me to figure out the, uh, the depths. Yeah, I just I, I wanted I just I guess I wanted to ask you like your your general feeling of it um just because of the position that you're in and it 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 is weird to see like just the amount of new manufacturers that have come out since I started this show, you know, 2 years and it's oh, been yeah. like huge. Um um and then I wanted to also ask like how much how much impact so we talk about this small world, you know, like we say earth shattering, but we're talking about, you know, <laughs> let, you know, a hundred thousand people maybe. I don't who knows. But uh, uh I don't think so. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean I, I if just give you an example, if you look if you go to our Instagram, you'll see we have quite a few followers on our, mm -hmm. our Instagram. Now, a lot if you also then read a lot of the comments on our Instagram you'll quickly discover that a lot of the people who follow our Instagram don't own any any make noise. Mm -hmm. And not only do they not own make noise, but 
they don't have a modular synthesizer. Mm-hmm. They're just following because they heard, they saw a cool video with some cool sounds and they clicked follow. Right. So, I, and I guess what I'm trying to point at is that it sometimes seems, you know, you could go and you look and say, oh, wow. I, I don't know where we're at. I haven't looked lately, but at one point we were at 80,000, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. And, but again, when you start reading those comments and you see it, it's literally like a video with something so basic as like uh, um, the bouncing ball patch on, on a mass or something, uh-huh. something that we've been talking about for, for almost a decade now. Uh-huh. And, and, and these people, not only have they not heard of that patch, they don't really even know what a maths is. They're just right. commenting like, this is a weird sound. Uh-huh. You know, like, <laughs> I just looked this up and it looks like this thing cost about $3,000. You're, you're, you're spending $3,000 to make a sound I can make with a Super Bowl that cost me 30 cents. You know, it's just like, this is like, you know, there's comments like this all over. Uh-huh. So it's, yeah. it's, I think you got to take it with a grain of salt, man. I don't know how, I don't, I don't think that the full that the full quantity there is actually people who are deeply interested and committed to modular synthesis. Uh-huh. Very well, that's small funny. percentages. <laughs> I was trying to figure out, cause I saw somebody ask that and I was really bored one day and I was actually, I was like, I'm going to see if I can somehow try to get a rough estimate of how many people out there are using it. And your guys' Instagram follower account was a huge factor of that. And then I looked at different, like popular module demo videos and it's like, mm-hmm. well, how many people have watched that demo video 15 times themselves? So really, yeah, really there's no real good answer. Um, but I'm yeah. wondering also just on that kind of, how much do you think, uh, you know, the, the no coast, or zero coast. Actually, let's get confirmation on that. Is it no coast or zero coast? It's 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 all it's all the above. Okay. No coast, zero coast, <laughs> o coast. That was okay. part of the idea of naming it like that. People could kind of interpret it at will. Okay. Um, how much did that? Do you think broke you guys out of just our little modular world and got? Um, I think there's a lot of modular curious people out there. And if you're oh, already sure. somebody who has, you know, a, a synth setup or some sort of electronic music setup, um, the no coast is a, a no brainer to, to kind of like dip your toe into something that you're curious about. So I'm just wondering, like, yeah. how much did that grow you guys? And as far as your just name recognition and, and whatnot, sounds like you need to be interviewing Kelly here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm not really, uh, in the day-to-day as much as people mm-hmm. probably think. I'm, I'm uh, mostly, most often I'm just a pain in, in, uh, pain in <laughs> Pete or Walker's ass, uh, you know, telling them to, you know, frame the shot more square, you know, make sure the white background's clean. <laughs> yeah. Know, too much low end in this, it's not going to translate over an iPhone. Uh, (laughs) i need you to beta test this now stop what you're doing i know you're doing something you think is important but this is more important no uh, you gotta beta test it now that's me i I just i'm like just making everyone's jobs harder all the time but uh (laughs) i mean kelly is more the person who would could know like how the zero coast affected us as a company all i see is oh yeah a lot of people like the zero coast and my well, thought is, it's probably because it's like the size of a book, but it makes sound, and you know, so it's small but fun. Like, I don't I mean, really. <laughs> I definitely want to talk to Kelly. So tell Kelly she, there's an open invitation. I know we talked about it a while ago, but then I think you guys got really busy with. Uh, it might have been around the mimeophone, but uh, 
Okay. Yeah. 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 I would love, I would love to have her on. I would love to hear her story because I know you've, I've heard you mention before. Um, I know how much of an integral part of the operation she is. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd, absolutely. I'd de- definitely love to have her on, uh, at some point. I see you. Yeah, see, I, I see you signal, and I thought I heard her laugh. If you can hear me, hi, she Kelly. Is. She's standing right here. <laughs> um, I just had the headphone. <laughs> How are you? How are you? Good. How you doing? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. <laughs> nice shirt. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess it's that's. Uh, I think it's kind of funny that that you, like you keep saying, well, you have to refer to Kelly because it, it kind of keeps you in a in a situation because you know you're still primary designer so it kind of keeps your head clear to to keep doing the thing that you do that's your part i don't know it's just it's that's what i've gathered from talking with with like i said walker and everything and um just hearing how you guys run your show it's like i think why one of the main reasons of your success is because you have these people who they have their job and they're very good at their job like I mean, how much did you luck out with Walker and Peter? Oh, yeah. Like, Peter's Instagram videos, like, I stop and watch those, and sometimes my jaw drops. I'm just like, how the hell did he do that, you know? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, wait, Kelly, can you, can you hear me right now? Oh, yeah, I put you on the speakers now. I had them off because I didn't know if it was going to feed back, but it seemed okay. like okay. okay. Yeah, we might get a little echo, but I'll edit it, edit it out. But, um, yeah, I'm just kind of curious what you think. How much how much did the no coast break you guys out of just the modular community, and um, you know, do you see a trend in non modular users kind of starting to get curious and and do like semi modular setups because of the no coast? Yeah, I think um, I think it definitely opened things up. I when we first released it, it was uh, pretty exciting because we. Uh, well, for a lot of reasons. One, we wanted to offer something to folks who weren't already into modular. Two, we wanted to have something that was like a little more affordable um, and enclosed for someone to get into the kind of instruments that we were making. Three, we wanted something that we could also donate to. um, So we donated them to a range of programs uh, such as... um, a program out on the West Coast that works with girls who are incarcerated, um, uh, some community-based programs in New York City. Is that Alyssa Derubis? Derubis? Is that her her thing? Um, yeah. On the West Coast? Alyssa, okay. yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah, it's re- and then to some of the different synth libraries. Who gave me this? Um, oh, nice. Oh, that's synth- <laughs> this is Cynthia. We just donated an Oak oh, nice. to Project uh, DJ Cherish the Love. Oh, that was I think a, okay. you um, uh, interviewed as well. She's super awesome. So we yeah. just met through the internet and then met in person and... Do you, do you know the story of how I, I got hooked up with her and how like she kind of came into this module, the whole modular thing? I was in Michigan on doing a, like a work conference thing and I was bored in a hotel room and I had brought like this little skiff and I was live streaming just like doing patches and she joined in and started, started chatting, you know, in the live stream chat. And was asking about like who are the who are like the women in modular. So I told her to like go check out uh, you and like all these other people. And then it just kind of exploded. And now she's like fully immersed. Like she is full on modular. Like she was just kind of curious. And it was just it was just really funny to like 
have this like chat with somebody that I didn't know on Instagram and then she came on the show and now I see her. She's just like this, she, like she's all over the place. It's so cool. She came to visit us like two weeks after we started emailing. So she came That's down awesome. for a thing with the Moog Foundation and came to make noise and we gave her the Ocos then. And then um, she actually just got a shared system recently. Oh, cool. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. So she's well, I can't wait to see that. what she does with that. Yeah, um, well, yeah, well, thanks for jumping on. Um, yeah, did you have more to go? I don't want to cut you off. Oh, I mean, I, I think it also, um, so I think it expanded who maybe had access to some of what we were doing. Um, but I think it, we were also surprised by how many people who are already into modular were excited about the Ocoast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, oh, the other thing that it allowed us to do was a series of workshops. So Walker... Um, and I put together, some of my background is in education, so we uh, put together a curriculum to teach people how to jump into the Oak Coast and have done workshops in town. Like We have a partnership with Girls Rock Asheville. We've done workshops with their campers as well as with volunteers, um, and then just have opened workshops up to whoever wanted to come to them, and we share the curriculum with our dealers as well as like synth libraries or any of the community partners we have. So. I love that. I love, and I, and here I got to apologize to the listener again, cause I'm always talking about the, the community aspect and just like this, this, there's something about modular that kind of like, it kind of keeps the, the egos of the music side of the world kind of small. I think it's because no one can get super, super famous off of it or something. But, um, but just going back to like the community aspect, I love to hear how involved you guys are with that. And, and, and the, the one, of, I love to hear that one of the deciding factors of making the no coast was because of the price of entry into modular is if you don't make much money, you're not going to get into it. But with something like no coast, like you, you, you build that bridge for people to get started because I mean, there, there are many modules out there that cost more than the whole no coast itself, right, yeah. you know, and, that, and it won't do anything if you have just it. And then you got to buy the case and the power. And, you know, right, so right. I'm just, I really love that. And like, I'm just curious how much, um, like, was that something that you thought of from the beginning or like, wh how, how did that kind of like where where does that emphasis come from you're on your reminding me kelly's reminding me of something that happened that really pushed it forward a little bit we did the machines and music one year and it was in that location that was there was a lot of foot traffic uh -huh. and i was working the table by myself and all these kids were coming in i guess i say kids i mean they're like whatever 18 to 25 you know mm -hmm. like younger people were coming in not really knowing what they were coming into. It was free to come in and just check stuff out. And they were all really interested and, and, and all were, were, had a lot of questions. But then when they would ask how much something was, I could see, you know, they were kind of crestfallen. They were like, oh, well, mm -hmm. yeah, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to get into this. Mm -hmm. And I remember that moment thinking about that, like how would we great if, if we had something that, to where you could point, well, oh, you, I mean, you can't afford a shared system, but here, check out this zero cost. And uh, now we have that, and I think that does, uh, that is true. That is, that was definitely an original goal. Yeah. I've often told people, I think with, with what you guys do, and I think the, um, Pitts, the Pittsburgh microvolt is kind of in a similar vein, you know, mm -hmm. like, um, 
I kind of look at those as like I, when people are kind of asking me, I want to get into it. I, I'll do, I'll say, check those two out and see which one kind of fits your personality or whatever. Cause they're, very, they're each their own thing for sure. And I think that, I don't know, you guys really hit it out of the park with how much personality that no coast itself has. Like I, I had yeah. it for a little bit. And, and, um, of course then I graduated to like a full on modular system, but, um, just watching the the tutorial videos and building along with it, like it's just it's it's amazing how quickly you can learn on something like that, and it it takes away a lot of the intimidation. Like, if you were to show me my case that I have, it's just off screen here, but it's you know 15U case. If you showed me that right as I was getting in, I'd be like, "There's no way. There's yeah, just yeah. no uh, way." Yeah, that's, and having that's the no coast early on helped me. It it's not as intimidating. It's just, it's just a lot. So having it like laid out the way it is. And, um, we've got even people who work at make noise who started with that, like Meg, who does our shipping. Um, she's a like classically trained violin player. We have a video that she did, uh, with the Ocoast up on YouTube. Um, but she started out, I started a uh, women and non-binary and trans O-Coast learning group. Mm -hmm. And um, we met for about two years and we would just uh, like ask questions and try to answer them as a group through patching. Mm -hmm. um, and that was where Meg started. It was a lot of people yeah. that I met as a volunteer and on the board of Girls Rock. And... Um, Meg just got like more and more into it and now, you know, has a, a modular that she plays. Mm -hmm. That's so, uh, cool. so cool. Yeah. I also, well, and this is, this is kind of like a like, like hard ground for me to cover. And as far as asking meaningful questions, just because, just because I'm a male, but I do notice that it, within the, the modular world, there seems to be a lot of people like yourself and Chris from noise engineering and Alyssa, uh, the S1 library. And put a real strong emphasis on, you know, uh, non-binary women and trans, you know, giving, giving the, um, p you know, those people an opportunity to come in without the pressure of, you know, the, 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 the dude energy kind of, you know, fucking it all up for them. And I, I feel like as a result, I feel like I see a lot of women, non-binary and trans people. I feel like the, the percentage of the community within our little slice of the music community it's i see it seems like it's 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 more proportional i mean it's, it's still more dudes for sure but like i feel like because of stuff like that what you do it's it's just fostering this more openness for it i guess that's not even a question but i just think that's really cool i just want to say it's something you're seeing yeah what's yeah, that, I, what's that? I, I think it's um you know part of it it well, I think a big part of it is that we do a lot of education through Make Noise. Uh, mm -hmm. That's why, like, we have so much emphasis on tutorial videos and people learning um, since. And just also looking at, like, what are some of the different ways that we can educate people to give them, like, a good opportunity and experience so that they feel like it's something they can get into. Yeah, I just love that. And... I, I guess I can't say thank you because it's not for me, but I just, I want to just praise that whole that. idea. But everyone it's, benefits. The, the more yeah. we include a variety of people, everyone Absolutely. benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, our dog's here. <laughs> She's trying um, to get her walk. 
time yet, girl. Well, I mean, I hate I hate to go bring this up, but it's just such a huge part of our world right now. Like, how how has I mean, we talked a little bit at the beginning about how um, the COVID nineteen thing has affected you, but you guys are you guys have what like are you guys up to like almost twenty employees now? Like, as far as a modular company, yeah. Um, well, every week is different. Yeah. Oh, every week is different. Just like, uh, I'm sure it is for everyone. Um, we were, uh, a few months ago, I guess, back in March when we were talking to friends over in Europe who, uh, one of whom is from Italy and, um, we're talking about kind of what their experience was and trying to adjust as fast as possible. So pretty early on, we closed to the public. We're normally open. People come in for demos or to say hi, see the shop, etc. Uh-huh. Um, and then we had anyone who could work from home work from home. For a while, we were totally closed but still paying everyone. And then we kind of uh, looked at how we could reopen at a smaller level so we Mm -hmm. could still keep people employed. So we've got anyone who can work from home is working from home. um, And anyone who can't, which is really just like production and shipping, they're on um, reduced schedules right now so that we only have like three people on the main floor at a time. We have a large building, so Mm -hmm. our building's Mm -hmm. almost 5,000 square feet. Oh, wow. So we might have only four or five people in the whole building at a time, sometimes only three. Um, So some people have reduced schedules, but they are uh, still getting paid their full amount. And we're, I'm hoping we can have people work a little more next week. We'll see. It's yeah, day by day. that's yeah. got to be. You we, know, of it's course, funny. we want we want everyone to be like safe and healthy. That's the exactly. Priority. Yeah, and yeah. we give everyone kind of the option, see where they're at, and just communicate with them about what they're feeling. It's such a like it's such an unprecedented thing, and it affects everybody in such different ways. And yeah, and and of course, you know, like I. I I started thinking heavily about like, what, what are the, what's the, how's this going to affect the modular builders, you know? And, and then I thought about, you know, like companies like you guys and 4MS and, you know, some of these companies that have like a substantial workforce and yeah, I was starting to like really feel for you, but it's, it sounds like you guys are doing a, you know, a really good job for the, the, the circumstances. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I would just want to, say i'm i'm so sorry that you guys are going through this and i hope i hope it doesn't screw anything up too much for you because it's so weird it's such a weird thing um but on that note it's weird but i think we've got to keep in mind that like i don't know we're pretty lucky definitely Uh, i was talking with tony about that earlier like kind of like a survivor's guilt like my my biggest concern right now uh uh, no offense is not my modular manufacturers but you know it's just part of something i was you know part of the whole thing as i'm sitting here by myself and think letting my brain go everywhere but um i asked tony earlier how just personally how he's he's handling it and he said he's doing a lot of studio stuff like how are you personally handling this like how are you keeping sane kelly um 
baking. Well, yeah, I've been doing uh, experiments in sourdough. So <laughs> I've been baking uh, sourdough bread and focaccia, and although the not sourdough yet, but uh, a lot of crackers and ooh, um, ooh. and then like scones and cookies and. Uh, I've been baking a lot, um, <laughs> and then I read a ton. So try to read at least a book a week. Okay. What are you more. reading? Any recommendations? Um, any re- so I am writing a lot too. Same so here. I Same here. Um, I'm doing. I'm working on a, a YA project. Um. So I'm reading a book by Jason Reynolds right now. I just finished There, There by Tommy Orange, which is, uh, it's like 12 points of view um, of folks who are indigenous to this land um, and have a range of native identities. Uh, It's pretty interesting. Um, And then... I'm reading a book about uh, brain science and how to use brain science to understand what people respond to in writing. Oh, Um, you know, you've probably read, I don't know if this would be helpful at all, but just because we're talking about writing and I can't reach it, it's behind me, but I've been uh, reading The Hero with a Thousand Faces right now uh, by Joseph Campbell. Um, which is like the outline of the hero's journey, which is kind of like this, like oh, yeah. this story structure of just about everything. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's been really cool because not only am I like, oh, this is every movie and every religion and every like mythology, but it's also kind of like pertinent to your, your everyday life, like your own personal narrative, you know, like everybody's yeah, their own quote unquote hero going through their own try, you know, their trials and stuff. <laughs> but I will what say, are you you're, writing? what's that? What's that? What are you writing? Um, I don't really know exactly. Um, well, I haven't told anybody about it because it's one of those things because I don't want to, I don't want to be doing it for the wrong reason, but I guess I'll say it. I, for the last month I've been picking up trash around my neighborhood as, um, because there's trash everywhere for one. And as an exercise in, I'm kind of very doom oriented in my brain, kind of anxiety, you know, and, and I, you know, I was thinking about the apocalypse you know, almost on a daily basis, long before COVID-19. <laughs> so uh, I, I kind of am using it, and I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm using it as a, as a device to trick my brain into investing in a future rather than a non-future. And so by doing that, I'm, you know, by picking up trash, I'm, in, I'm investing in something that's outside of myself that is for the, the greater good. Um, but now I almost feel like talking about it publicly takes away some of the, the value of it. But, uh, so I'm working on what I'm calling my trash treatise, which is, Uh I'm making some rules for myself. Like you can't, I have to listen to only happy or like classical music when I do it. And I have to make sure that I don't start fantasizing about who these people are, who are throwing their trash and thinking about them in a negative way. I'm trying to keep them completely out of the thing. The, The only narrative I'm trying to keep in my head is, is the, um, the trash that is now no longer on the ground. So yeah, I'm just kind of like, I don't know what I'm writing it for. I don't, I don't, I'm just, just writing that out and reading and taking a lot of notes and just trying to just kind of work on some, some mental health stuff and kind of push it into the more positive realm. So yeah. 
Tony yeah. is also a trash collector. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Let's true. talk trash, yeah, he man. he just picks up everyone's garbage on the street all the time. <laughs> Do you got one of the picker-uppers? I should get one of those now. I, I, I usually, if I see something that looks really sketchy, uh, I, just, I just use some rubber gloves or something. Yeah. I did yeah. learn that if you find a, a, a hypodermic needle, you're supposed to put it in a, um, a clear vessel, like an empty oh, two-liter soda bottle or something. So that I the haven't run into at the trash processing can see what it is, but they aren't going to get stuck with it. Okay. Well, that's good to know. For my, so my wife works for the Department of Transportation here in Seattle in urban forestry. So she, she uh, tends a lot of the, the green areas in Seattle. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that is yesterday, all she did all day was pick up trash. And um, I'm not in a neighborhood with a lot of the, like, there's not a huge homeless population here and there's not a huge drug using population here. So it's more just people throwing trash out the window, but she deals with like, she calls them their, their nests. She says, she says every, like, it's, it's not to be not sympathetic or anything, but you know, th- she says there's a very clear pattern, what she calls like a junkie nest. They're kind of all the same shape and have the same stuff in them and, yeah, so she's picking up a lot of that, and she deals with a lot of needles. She found a loaded gun downtown Whoa, Seattle. Yeah, that's scary. just like yeah, stashed behind. And of course, every dude that I tell that story to, she's like, "Did you bring it home?" I'm like, "No, she didn't." Bring it home. <laughs> she called the cops, man. <laughs> yeah, no, I surrendered it and melted it. First, I melted it, and then I surrendered it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes uh, I think about the trash. Um, I think, especially around here, I'm not sure if it's always being thrown out the window. Well, we I have think, a lot of wind. We have a lot of wind, and I think sometimes mm-hmm. it gets blown out of trash cans and stuff. Or another really common thing here is people, well, first of all, like most of the population drives pickup trucks, mm-hmm. and they use the bed of their pickup truck as a trash bin. Oh, so they yeah. just when they you know they just throw stuff back there all the time and then mm-hmm. yeah if they're going too fast the trash sometimes blows out of the back of the pickup yeah truck. there's so definitely strips I have like kind of a route because I'm trying to just do it in my neighborhood so I can just walk straight out of the house I'll bring a couple bags and fill them tie them leave them on the side of the road and then come back and get my car and go pick them up uh, wow so that's I, some serious. Yeah, I'm yeah. dude. I'm going hardcore on this, but but also there's just so much trash in my neighborhood. It's kind of a it's kind of a poor neighborhood. A lot of busy streets, um, but yeah, it, I have noticed the different. The, so the the streets where I see them lined with garbage cans on garbage pickup day, they tend to have a lot of you know loose trash here and there. But there are also yeah, yeah. walks where I can see it's the same person because you know this person really likes this little tiny blue bottle of vodka. Like that's their thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I kind of find those just streamed along the whole <laughs> Right, right. Every every Wednesday morning they yeah, they get off yeah. work on Tuesday, go buy a bottle of vodka, slam it, toss it. Yeah. 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 Well I live by there's just like four or five bus bus stops along the street that I live on here. It's a pretty busy street. And in between those and at those is just a total mess. But uh, yeah, well, hey, man, I'm, I'm glad that I brought it up to find another uh, fellow fellow uh, trash picker upper. I'm telling you, you got to get one of the, I'm on my second um, grabber guy and uh, yeah, yeah. Don't, spend the money. I broke one because I, I, I went cheap. That. Yeah, so yeah, I'd say yeah. I'd say spend the money. It's worth it. Um, <laughs> well, let's see. What are we at time-wise? I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time today. Um, we are at an hour and 15 minutes. So let's, 
you want to just we could we could wrap up on the 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 new th- the thing that's uh, releasing today as of today we're recording this but uh, this will be out Monday hopefully so yeah what's the new stuff what's what's going on oh, oh yeah sure <laughs> um. Bye. hey see you later Kelly thanks so much for jumping on oh sure yeah yeah we can talk about the zero the zero control um, so yeah it's it's a patchable clockable controller and step sequencer for voltage-controlled synthesizer systems. Um, It was designed to be a patch pell for the Zero Coast. Uh, Initially, it was a little bigger than the Zero Coast, and it had some more stuff, and everyone that I showed it to said, ah, such a bummer, it's not the same size as the Zero Coast. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. (laughs) And now I'm glad that we... So, well, the reason I bring that up is it, it, it was actually quite a bit of work to, to shrink it down to the same size. I imagine. And, um, yeah. 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 And so I went back into the, the office and spent a few more weeks getting it to be the same size. So it, it, I'm glad I did it. It looks right now. Before it was weird because it was just a little bit bigger. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It just, yeah. it just yeah. felt kind of strange. Which everybody who doesn't know how hard it is to design that stuff would be like, why wasn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a matter of just hacking off a little bit. (laughs) There was a lot of functionality choices that had to be made. And in addition to that, um, part of the reason that these devices are so thin and small is is because everything's on one printed circuit board. And so sometimes there's, it might look like there's nothing there, but there actually is something there. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of circuitry that's buried there that you can't see so yeah it was a matter of it was a, there was a lot of nudging things around to squeeze it into that space um but yeah it's 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 a it's a it's, people have told me that it's it's a uh, rodent likes to call it an idea generator um, <laughs> i've had other people uh tell me it's it, they feel like they now have a, a micro easel um, oh okay. so i think everyone's kind of seeing it in different ways for me, I found it to be um, really helpful when recording music. I, I because it's it's not quantized. I've had a lot of times where I've tried to play the Zero Coast over MIDI, and the notes don't quite match up with the source material, or uh, the source material is very harmonically rich, and the notes mm-hmm. they're the correct notes. It's playing the notes I'm asking it to play, and it's in tune, but it's like it, they need to be adjusted slightly. And, and so I've ended up doing a lot of times is figuring out what notes I want to play and then setting them up on the zero control and playing them there instead so I can tune them by ear to sound um, I see. better mm-hmm. to me. Okay, I see, yeah. Uh, I guess for me it's been a problem solver at times. Even, which <laughs> I, I'm surprised to hear myself say that, but it has been. Um, yeah, so yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's, it's a controller for the Zero Coast, but it can work for everything. It can work for, for your uh, taper microsound music machine. It can work for your, for your big, massive modular. Uh, you know, years ago, um, we had a... Uh, oh, man. i got to remember this guy's name. Uh, I'm going to have to come <laughs> back to that story because I have to remember this person's name first. Oh, by the way, the place that made the screen printing in Chicago, Screwball Press... That was Screwball that was. press, okay. That's who printed the posters and stuff. It came to me while we were, while we were talking about picking up trash. I was, all right, <laughs> screwball press. Um, oh, Gary, Gary, uh, 
Ah, I'm not gonna remember his full name, so I can't tell the story. But anyhow, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun too if you have a big modular. I think what could be cool about it is it's small and you can kind of move it around to different spots to control different spots of your massive modular system. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't That's... know if you want me to go into full demo mode or if you just want to ask some questions about it. Or... Well, I, yeah, I was gonna ask if uh, if when you made No Coast, was this always something that was kind of part of the plan or was this an afterthought no it really wasn't and that's quite contrary to what kelly actually wanted kelly actually not long ago i think last fall when i finished the the no the no control the zero control she said okay finally you made that you should have made that two years ago <laughs> um, uh, i actually never had intended for it and that's the whole reason why the zero coast had the midi uh the midi um functionality built into it Mm -hmm. I guess the way I, you know, again, this kind of, you never know how people are going to use the things that you make. And I think in my mind, I was imagining the zero coast. First of all, folks who already have modular systems, I didn't think that they would want it or purchase it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was very surprising to me to see how many of them would get it and use it and um, take it to on vacation with them, for example. Yeah. I had a number of, of folks <laughs> tell me, like, oh, yeah, my share system's kind of heavy, or my regular modular system isn't portable, so I just took that on vacation with me. Um, <laughs> so that was very surprising. In my mind, it was made for the person who uses uh, Appleton or Logic, and they could multi-track the Zero Coast or use it to make um, single-shot sounds that they could put into the drum rack or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and there are definitely people who do that. Um, and so it was very surprising to me when I started seeing all these videos. And, you know, you talk, we were talking earlier about how when something comes out, like I watch to see how people use it. Mm -hmm. It was very surprising to me when I saw all these videos of people using just a zero coast. They're just patching it into itself. And, um, and then additionally, just a zero coast and say one other thing like a Korg SQ1 or, or um, some other uh, kind of sequencer they had around or a reverb pedal or something. And so that was very surprising to me. And so more and more it started becoming obvious, like, oh, wait, yeah, we probably should go ahead and make a Zero Coast controller. And, uh, of course, in keeping with the spirit of voltage-controlled synthesis and modular synthesis, we just made it so it could work with all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of control surfaces. I have... Uh... I've got like this Zorx ribbon controller. I'm not sure if you've oh, yeah. heard of these. And I've got like this hungry robot, the CV keys. Um, mm -hmm. and I, and then I saw, you know, I'm watching the video for this and I'm like, I'm like, Ooh, another control surface. That one looks so cool. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm not going to be surprised to see a lot of people bringing that into maybe people who don't even have no coasts bringing that into their. Oh yeah, it would still yeah, be useful mm -hmm. if you had a if you had a little system, a little skiff full of modules, and um, I think especially for someone who has a small case, a sequencer is typically a pretty large real estate investment in your Definitely. system. Mm -hmm. You know, even you know any really good full featured sequencer, they're they're pretty big. Mm -hmm. So if you have a small system, something like this could be a good a good answer to that question of how do I control this small system? I don't have any space for say two pressure points in the brains or a Renee or an mm -hmm. eloquencer or, you know, numerous other, um, sequencers and controllers that are out there. They're all pretty large. Mm -hmm. So this could potentially be good for that person that well, has a small case. 
one of the first things I thought I'm, I'm doing because I'm out of work right now, one of my like side hustle things I'm trying to do is uh, just modular lessons via Skype. So I have a few students right now and, and, and a couple like a couple of my students have small setups that they want to keep small. They like the idea of having yeah. a, a small thing. And so yeah, one of the first things that I thought of when I saw this was like a couple of my students. I'm like, oh, you know, so-and-so would really benefit from that because they have such a small setup their large sequencer is using really valuable real estate mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is, uh, I'm really excited to, to see how this is received and everything. Um, yeah. Is there, is there anything else that you want to say about that? Or is there anything new other, other than that you wanted to talk about? We kind of, we kind of no. let, let the chat get away from us, which means it was a good chat, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, yeah, I don't have any other make noise developments to talk about. Um, I guess, on the zero, the zero control, I guess if, if I could, you know, if, if I suppose most people listening to this podcast are probably going to watch another video about it if they're interested or potentially have already watched another video about it. Mm-hmm. But I guess I could talk about things real quick that make me excited about it. Yeah, since you got it hooked up and everything, let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, obviously step sequencers, they, you know, they, they have gate and pitch outputs typically so you can turn the notes on and off and and you know change the pitch of them but they're oftentimes they're very um they're very steady and very strict and i think one of the things really early on that i really was impressed with was the the bukla marf and mm-hmm. its ability to sequence time as well as pitch and create these more organic feeling step sequences and so on the zero control we've implemented that ability to sequence time. So there is a row for pitch, of course. There's also a row for something we call strength, and that's related to this internal envelope generator that the zero control has that lets you um, control how loud each step is. It generates a a very, uh, a very, um, a two-stage envelope with a very fast a very fast rise and a, 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 a fall time that's um, tuned relative to the speed of the sequence. So could you use this with a VCA without an envelope in, in the chain? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you don't need an envelope generator. This will generate your envelope for you. And the envelope will be in time with the sequence, so each note that you program will be a discrete note. Mm-hmm. And then the last row controls your time. And so your, your resulting sequences can feel a lot looser and a lot more organic, for the lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that. And it's funny because I was doing a demonstration for Nick at Sonic State, and I don't think it, it, it really, I, I could see that it dawned on him when I started to remove the, uh, the strength and the time sequencing, and it became this more strict kind of standard step sequence sound. I could see that it, he was like, oh, wait, right, yeah. Uh-huh. That sounds like, now it sounds like a step sequencer. And, it, and when you bring those elements in of sequencing not just pitch, but also strength and time, the sequence, it, it can be a lot more expressive. And unlike what you would typically get from a step sequencer. And not that there's any problem with step sequencers, it's just that we already have so many of those in there. Right. The right. basic step sequencer format is well available, both in hardware and software. So this is something a little bit different than that. I, it, it, it seemed like with the time knobs, you, it's almost like you could get a, like a swing out of it. Totally. If you want to program a swing, you can program some swing. Um, 
if you want to program little flams, you can program some flams. It, it definitely, it, it, it can have a lot of feel to it that you don't typically associate with step sequencing. I just love this idea too that it's it's not it's a sequencer control surface in one um, because one of, another going back to my students something that I hear my students say like when they want me to help them figure out how to be a little bit more interactive with their patch rather than build something that just does the thing and then they stand there and okay it's doing the thing now but what do I do you know so I and, and you know because the sequencer is just oh what my recordings oh okay. Well, my Zoom, my my backup Zoom recording stopped, but that's fine. I'm still recording okay. in my DAW. Um, but yeah, it's just I I I think that's something that I, I hear a lot of people talking about um, is just wanting to have a little bit more actual interaction to where it's more of an instrument than you know because that's why a lot of people get into it is because they're looking at their computer all day and it's not very fun to play a computer and so they come to this. But yeah, and. and you you are limited to your gear to a certain extent of how much you can interact with it. And it seems like that's a pretty important thing that it seems like a premium you guys put on, especially when I think about Tempe and, and Renee too, with the States that you mentioned earlier. Like mm-hmm. I had a student, we got to our second lesson and I'm like, I, cause he has basically a shared system that he swapped very few things out, but this is like the system he wants. And we got to a point where it's like, I can't, I can't do anything else for you. You have to just, you have to learn how to use Renee and Tempe inside and out because those two are going to be the thing that make you be able to control this. And I told them, focus on the states. And that just seems like, I don't know, it just seems like you guys put a lot of thought into the actual interactive aspect of it. Yeah, I think states is one way to do that. Um, I think uh, another thing that people sometimes forget about, and I mean, I myself am guilty of this as well, when you're patching a modular, it's like you want to automate everything because (laughs) there is this potential to automate everything and make Mm -hmm. this completely automated music. But I, and I, this is one of the reasons why I like to watch people patch. I I love to watch how Alessandro Cortini patches because he, he always, there's always some element of what he's doing that sure, you probably could sequence that or automate that with a function generator, but he isn't instead doing it by hand. Mm-hmm. because he's got two hands and they're free. Why not just do it by hand? And so I do think that another thing is just to learn your instrument well enough that you can actually get hands-on with it and you can manually create the the animation and the motion that you would like. In the mm-hmm. zero control, there's a lot of that is kind of required to you. Uh, you're required to actually touch the instrument in, in, a, in, in, a, to, in order to make something happen. So, for example, there's a pad to turn the clock on and off. Um, There's a pad to change direction. Um, You can interrupt the sequence. All of this is manually done. There's dynamic reset, so you can reset on any step, but it's whatever step you've last touched. So you're expected to to be doing that in real time while it's playing. Okay. So there's a lot of emphasis on that. The pressure output, again, is another thing. It's just emphasis on manually interfacing with the with the the instrument in order to create that change and that's not for everyone yeah yeah i mean i i but but again i think like like with with a lot of your stuff and with just modular in general general you'll see a bunch of different people using it in so many different ways you know um when i first saw it i was like just by look in like the first 30 seconds of the demo video i was like 
is this a re- this is like Renee and pressure points and brains like put in a blender is that is that true like circuit wise or idea wise or like not it def- there's definitely a bunch of stuff from the brains and pressure points is in there um not so much the Renee uh there's nothing digital about it okay uh the I think what makes it maybe so the functionality is something that you could potentially patch up if you had, in addition to, say, pressure points and brains, you would need, um, I think, three or four VCAs and um, a function generator, a clock. Like, you'd need some other stuff. It, it, kind of, it kind of completes the system. You know, like, if you just had a pressure points and brains, you don't really have a clock generator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're going to put a clock generator in something, you know, there's just a few more steps that you could take to potentially create an envelope generator as well. And all these things were kind of going through my mind because this is something like the zero control and the zero coast is all a matter of, of you know, you're sort of picking a price point. You're sort of saying like, look, I want to make this like with the zero coast, I want to make this around 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, could we have made it do more and had it been a thousand bucks. Yeah, sure. I mean, the sky's the limit. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) It could be a lot bigger and it could have a lot more things on it, but then it would cost a lot more. And uh, you know, the whole idea was this needs to be something that for that kid that comes up and is like demoing and is excited, but then, you know, can't afford a shared system. So it has to be 500 bucks or less. Same is true of the the zero controls. Like, well, this needs to be, you know, 400 bucks or less. Can't Mm -hmm. really be much more than that. It needs to be something that's the same size as a zero coast. Okay, boom, that limits it too. And so you're making all these choices. And so what I was really looking for is what what can I do that's going to make this highly functional and highly useful with a zero coast or with you know other module modular small modular systems that's going to still keep it in that affordability range and and still keep it in that size. So that's where a lot of the cho- the choices are made based on that. I love that. Man, I I feel like like a million more questions just popped into my head as we started talking about this, but I definitely don't want to keep you your whole yeah, yeah, your sure. whole day. Um damn, we're at an hour and a half. I'm stoked on that. I just had somebody on the Discord server say um their fa- their their the part they hate the most about the podcast is when I say, "Well, we just hit an hour." And they go, "No, that means it's going to end." So that person's going to be excited about that. Um <laughs> um is there anything that you want to scream from the mo- modular mountaintops while you have some people's ears? Oh, um I guess I would just um give a shout out to the crew for uh coming in and and um keeping us running, you know, the, especially the folks on the production line, um, Mike and Jake and John and Meg, and now Rodent as well as he's, he's working on the production line for us too. Um, and then all, you know, tech support folks, you know, just, I've, I'm just really happy that they, you know, the, like Walker and Devin and Pete and Lewis are all ready to like, you know, keep, keep going, you know, in spite of everything that's happening and they're willing to keep, keep going because uh like many other companies we're not really built to stop for months at a time <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah i'd just like to shout out the crew really and awesome. that, you know obviously kelly as well for for uh keeping everyone's paychecks 
liquid. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that you guys are making it work through this, and uh, I wish you the best through the rest of whatever the heck this is that we're going through. Um, one more thing before, like, are you? Do you want to try the patch challenge? Sure. Are you from? Are you familiar uh, with how that works? Vaguely, like you give a couple of words and I patch to it. Yeah, so basically what I do is I'll, I'll give you a cup, an adjective and a noun pairing to inspire a patch. And then we'll hang up. This is something you can do, you know, and send to me later. If you set on a, a, a clock for 15 minutes to build it, you don't have to record the 15 minutes. You just build okay. it in 15 <laughs> minutes and then record like a three to five minute performance um, once okay. it's built and then send that along with the, the audio sure. from the conversation. Sweet. Okay. Well, let should me, write uh, down these words. Yeah, let me get my, my, my handy-dandy patch challenge generator. One of my, uh, one of my listeners who actually works uh, with Waveform Magazine, Sam Chittenden, he made uh-huh. me, a, uh, he made me a, a, a patch challenge generator. So I'm going to go to that right now. I've got to find it. I never have it pulled up during the conversation, and I'm always finding it during the conversation, which is just ridiculous. But um, I'm going to give you a few moods to pick first. This will this will kind of um, determine what the ad the the adjectives are. But uh, simple, uh, simple, rhythmic, sad, dark, or light. Simple. You want to go with simple? Oh, these are all words I can choose. Yeah, so you choose oh. one of these words, and that'll be the uh, that'll be kind of the 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 mood of the words generated. Oh, so can you it was simple, rhythmic, sad, um, dark, and light? Hmm. That's just a handful of them because there's a lot to choose from, and I didn't want to read them all <laughs> off. <laughs> I guess typically I catch kind of dark stuff, so I guess I I go with that dark. I guess dark. Okay. Let's generate some words. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work very. I don't know. <laughs> Swartish secret. What does Swartish mean? Swartish secrets. Okay. We can we can pick another one too. I don't. Let's maybe we should Google what the hell Swartish means. <laughs> Swartish. Oops. Let's see here. Have you ever heard that word? No, I was going to look it up right now. <laughs> uh, somewhat, somewhat, somewhat swart. Somewhat oh, that's helpful. That's helpful. <laughs> um, somewhat um, dark or tawny. I just got a link to a sausage recipe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I must have boy. spelled it wrong. Let's see. Swart definition. You know, one one good thing about this show is it, we do learn, we do teach people new words. Oh, swarthy, swarthy, swarthy. Okay. So let's just change it to swarthy because that's a word that everybody knows. Um, and what was the second one? I lost it. Secret. Yeah, swarthy, yeah, swarthy secret. secret. Do you like that? Do you like that? Sure, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Cool. Well, hey, man, this was a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad I finally got to, to meet you and, and chat with you, and I'm glad Kelly jumped on, and I just really appreciate your, your time. Cool. Yeah, thanks for doing it. Absolutely. All right, let's check out Tony's Swarthy Secret. 
Well, if that patch wasn't an endorsement for a make noise shared system, I don't know what is. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Tony, for that patch and for being a guest on the show. And thank you, Kelly, for popping in. That was so cool to be able to have a nice uh, organic conversation there. And speaking of organic conversations, I kind of let the cat out of the bag as far as my uh, trash picking up excursions go. And it was something that I wasn't sure if I was going to share publicly and I hadn't shared it with many people. And the reason I didn't know if I wanted to talk about it was because I didn't know if talking about it would actually uh, corrupt the, the the purity of my actions or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, it, it is, it's also a very selfish uh, thing I'm doing to try to make myself feel better. I'm just, uh, I'm just, yeah, I was trying to add some, some grains of good to the positive side of the scale of existence. Cause there's just so much negativity out there. So, uh, so since I mentioned it, I might as well just, uh, say, Hey, do you, you want to, you want to do it too? Let's, let's organize a trash pickup. Maybe we could do like a trash pickup around our neighborhoods and we can all just say, Hey, on May, blah, blah, blah. We're all going to go out and pick up some trash. Um, we don't have to do that either. I don't know. I'll tell you this. There's a lot of, lot of fucking trash around in my neighborhood. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, so much. Um, I will say that if you're going to do it, invest in a picker upper. You got to get a little grabber and, uh, and get, get bigger, the bigger black garbage bags. Cause, uh, if your neighborhood's anything like mine, you'll fill, fill up the white kitchen garbage bags really quickly. Um, and gloves are good. And uh, take Tony's advice if you find a hypodermic needle. Um, make sure that you put it in some sort of clear container. So those that are sorting it later on down the road will see it. Um, I can't wait to share with you guys some of the weird stuff that I find along the way. You find some weird stuff. Um, so you find some gross stuff. I, uh, well, I'll just share. The, the, I fa- I, well, the other day I found uh, like a perfectly intact rat skull and rat mandible like just one side of the mandible eroding out of the side of this little hill on a sidewalk which was really cool because um a rat skull is really small and fragile for it to have maintained its structural integrity uh that long it's pretty cool um what else uh, I found some gelatinous goo stuck to the road. I have no idea what that was. And the grossest, weirdest thing that I found was a big prescription bottle with no label full of liquid. I don't know what that liquid was. I don't want to know what that liquid was. Um, anyways, <laughs> my goal is to one day fill... Uh, I, I'm, I'm calculating my, my, cubid, my cubic footage, and my, my goal is to one day have picked up enough to fill an entire train connex, yeah, shipping container. So we'll, uh, we'll see if we get there. Um, I've rambled enough. This track that you hear is called Where is the River? It's off my new album called uh, Stephanie Synthesizer, and it's available for free on Bandcamp. And then the stems are also available on Dropbox if uh, you want to collaborate on some stuff with me. Again, thank you so much for listening to the show and all your support. I love you guys. Until next week.